Uh, last week we started a brand new series called Welcome to Cross Point. And in this series, what we're doing is teaching through our seven core convictions as a church. As I shared last Sunday, these core convictions inform every decision we make, every practice that we hold to, and ultimately, these are the things we strive to be known for. You see, we understand that in the same way individuals and corporations are known for certain things, churches are known for certain things. So that means when people bring up the name Crosspoint out in the community, automatically they associate certain qualities and characteristics with our identity. This is why we work really, really hard here to ensure that when people think of us, that they think of the very qualities and characteristics we're talking about over the next several weeks, all right? Now, with that said, the purpose of this series, it, it differs depending on who you are. All right, if this is your church, the purpose of the series for you is to remind you of who we are. Uh, I know a lot has changed here over the last few weeks. And I am confident that as we continue transitioning through this season, more change will come. But one thing that will not change and one thing that has not changed is who we are as a people. Amen? You know, I shared this last Sunday and I want to say it again. I love the building. As great as it is and as grateful as I am for it, look, this building still does not define us. Because the church is a people, not a place, right? I mean, we say it all the time here. This structure that we're meeting in is a structure. That's all it is. This is not the church. The people, you and me, sitting inside this structure today, we are the church. And so just because we're meeting in a different house, that doesn't mean we're going to become different people. So that's first. Secondly, if you're new here, uh, let me just welcome you again. We're so grateful to have you in the house today. I uh, pray that you feel loved and welcomed while you're here. But if you're new, the purpose of this series for you, it's really simple. We just want to welcome you or introduce you to Crosspoint. You see, here's what's going to happen, and, and it always happens when you visit new churches. You will leave today, and, and maybe in the coming weeks if you come back, and I hope you will, but you're going to leave with questions, right? You're going to wonder, why did they do that thing they did? And why did they sing the songs that they sang? And, and why didn't they do the thing that the other church did that I used to be a part of? And, and you're going to ask all these questions about the practices we held to, the decisions we made. And i got to tell you, one of our goals in this series is to answer a lot of those questions for you, all right? And so I, I would say to you, you're here at a great time. Uh, keep coming back, at least for like the next six weeks. And I said it last Sunday, I'll say it again. If you decide after that that you don't like us, this church is weird, look, we'll love you enough to actually help you find another church in this community. That's how much we care about you, all right? But, but keep coming back. And, and I pray and hope by the end of the series you'll be able to decide whether or not Crosspoint is the church God's calling you to be a part of, all right? And so, with all that on the table, let's dive in. The second conviction that we're going to talk about, the one we're talking about today, it reads like this. We need each other. Deeply convicted here at Crosspoint that as followers of Jesus Christ, we need each other. Here's the description. We believe our God is a God of community. As his people, we too must share in community both for spiritual growth and to bear his image rightly in the world. Doing so requires more than surface level interaction, but true devotion, commitment, and deep love for one another. Therefore, we will be a people of authentic relationships, knowing they are vital for us and instrumental in making the gospel more believable to the outside world. Now, I know that upon reading that, there is already some pushback going on in some hearts and minds. 
Right? Some of you right now are thinking, after you just heard me read that, uh, James, other people in this room might need each other, but not me. Like, I'm doing just fine in life on my own. Why in the world do some of us really think that? You ever sat back and consider that? Why do I believe that's true for my life? That I can just walk through life in isolation without needing anybody. Well, I'm going to offer you a couple reasons. Okay, number one, I think some of us think that way due to personal hesitation. You see, here's the reality for some of you. Some of you walked in the doors and, and your experience has been this. You have been deeply wounded by people you've been in relationships with. People have abused you, they've abandoned you, they have taken advantage of you. Like people in your life that were supposed to love you have done things to you that are incomprehensible. And as a result, what you've done is you've built up walls and barriers to prevent other people from getting too close. That's some of your story, right? There are also some of us in the room, and, and your hesitation is this, we don't go too deep in relationships because we're scared of being found out. You know, there are things that we've done in life that we aren't too proud of, right? Uh, currently for some of us, currently for some of us, there are things right now going on in the backstage of our life that nobody knows. And so what we think when we think of relationships is people are going to find out. People are going to see me for who I really am. If I let people in, that means I have to come clean about certain things I'm struggling with and or I'm ashamed of. And because that's what's going on in your heart and mind, you just avoid relationships altogether. Personal hesitation. I also believe there's a second reason a lot of us avoid relationships, and it's due to cultural persuasion. So personal hesitation, reason number two, cultural, cultural persuasion. You see, you and I live in a culture that promotes this ideology known as individualism. I've taught on this before here at Cross Point. Uh, but individualism says this, that the self-fulfillment of the individual deserves higher priority than the family, group, or community that that individual belongs to, right? Uh, individualism teaches us that society works best when we as people are free to pursue our own self-interest and desires. And so in a society like ours, here's what often happens. Again, the, the, the person, the individual, is elevated above the group or the family. And when you pay attention to culture, you hear this message being preached all the time. You've heard this, right? For example, uh, we're often told, do whatever makes you happy. You heard this, right? Just do, look, do what makes you happy. If it doesn't make other people happy, don't worry about them. They can get over their hurt and their offense. What matters is your happiness. We're also told that no one in our lives has a right to tell us how to live. You're your own person. You have every right to make your own choices, to, to live your life how you want to live your life. So don't you dare let anyone or anything stand in your way. And then finally, and this is crazy to me, but culture says this. When things get too hard, get out. <laughs> if there's a relationship that you're in and, and it's too tough, it's requiring too much work, just bail, man, leave. I mean, again, after all, what matters is your happiness. Listen, please hear me today. Lean in. Don't miss this. I need you to know that cultural ideology completely contradicts biblical theology. Hear me. That, that deserved a better amen. We'll get there. Y'all work with me, okay? Completely contradicts biblical theology. It does. 
You have to know today that God did not create you and save you so that you could walk through life as an individual pursuing happiness, chasing feelings, and quitting on people you should be committed to. No, instead God saved you into a family called the church, and according to what he says in his word, you and I as family members, we need each other. The question is, why? Why do we need each other? Well, today what I want to do is give you four biblical answers to that question. And to do so, we're going to do something a little different than normal. Uh, if you're new to Crosspoint, what we usually do is we just open the Bible on Sundays and we just plow through passages, teach through books, things like that. Uh, today we're going to jump around quite a bit. And so instead of doing Bible exposition, explaining a passage, we're going to do some biblical theology together, all right? We're going to just ask the question, what does God have to say in his word about our topic? And so to help you follow along, everything that I teach is going to be up on the screens. If you're taking notes, get ready to write. All right, here we go. Answer number one, we need each other to image God rightly. We need each other to image God rightly. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, you find the story of creation. And what you find when you read that story is that on day 6, creation reaches its culmination when God reaches down with his very own hands into the dust of the earth and he forms mankind. Right before that moment though, God says something very, very interesting in Genesis 1.26. Look at this. Then God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, let me make man in my image after my likeness. He uses a plural pronoun there, us and our. What we see in Genesis 1.26 is one of the first hints in the Bible of what's known as the Trinity. And if you're thinking, well, James, what in the world is the Trinity? It's the Christian doctrine that teaches that we have one God expressed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each person exists simultaneous, simultaneously and eternally, yet they each share the same divine nature and attributes, making them one God. And I know some of you are going, I don't understand. Good, you're starting to get the Trinity, right? <laughs> like if you're confused going, is it one, is it three, three? Yes, the answer is both. Good job. It's one God, three persons, three persons, one God. Now, as confusing as that is for many of us, I don't want us to miss what this verse is teaching on a very basic level. Okay, on a basic level, what we see from Genesis 1.26 is this. That before the foundation of the world was laid, that the Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lived together in perfect unity and community. Therefore, to be created in the image and likeness of that God, that means you and I as people, we are created to live together in unity and community. My friends, this is why every single one of us in the room longs for meaningful relationships. And you can stand up here and try to lie like you don't. No, 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 I don't. Okay, yes you do. Okay, just we're in church, be honest. It's true of all of us. Every single one of us have desires in us to be known and to know other people. And I want to tell you today, those desires aren't in you by accident or coincidence. No, the God of the universe placed those desires in you when he created you, listen, 
so that you would walk through life with other people in order to image him rightly. If you're taking notes, write this down. It is impossible to image God in isolation. It is impossible to image God in isolation. You cannot, in other words, put a relational God on display by avoiding relationships. You know, that'd be like our boy Matt Ryan, quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. And, and praise Jesus, football season is upon us. Come on, can I get a rise up? Somebody, let's go. It's a great time of year, is it not? Yes. Listen, that would be like our boy Matt Ryan saying to Julio Jones and Devontae Freeman, hey, guys, I got it. Y- y'all stay on the sidelines. Okay, I, I'm going to do quarterback, wide receiver, and running back by myself. Okay, y'all, just hang out, take it, drink some Gatorade, I'm fine. Like, we all know in the National Football League, that ain't going to work. Listen, in the same way, it ain't going to work for you to try to image God all by your lonesome walking through life. Like, you want to image the God who created you? Which, please hear me, that is your entire purpose in life. If you've ever asked the question, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? What's life about? The God of the universe who is spirit created you to be his physical representative here on the earth. Everything you do in life is is meant to display him and his glory to the world around you. That's why you're here. But look, you can't do that unless you walk through life with other believers. We need each other to image God rightly. That's first. Number two. Number two, we need each other to grow in spiritual maturity. We need each other to grow in spiritual maturity. Uh, I have often found that many people in many churches believe a massive lie about spiritual maturity. And here's the lie. As long as I have my Bible and my prayer closet, I'll be fine. Right? As long as I just get up every morning and do my quiet time all by myself, I will grow spiritually. Okay, here's the problem. The Bible does not teach that. It just doesn't. And so why do some of us believe that? Well, I think we believe it because we think wrongly about spiritual maturity. You see, you need to know today that spiritual maturity is not simply you knowing a lot about the Bible. Uh, spiritual maturity is, is not simply you having this deep understanding of theology. Nor is spiritual maturity you living a life of greater morality. All those things are good and fine, but none of them equal spiritual maturity. Can I tell you what spiritual maturity is? And again, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this definition down. Real simple. Spiritual maturity is this. It is you growing in Christ's likeness by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. What is spiritual maturity? It is you growing in Christ's likeness by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, let me make it really easy. In other words, if you are growing spiritually... It means that you are becoming increasingly more and more like the Jesus you claim to be following. But again, according to the scriptures, you cannot grow in that way unless you are following Jesus alongside other people. All right, to make my case, I want to show you a list that I've shown you before. This list is known as the one another's. And what I want to do is read quickly through this list so you'll have to try and keep up. Uh, You're not going to be able to write all these down. Maybe we can post them on our Facebook page later so you can have them. But I'm going to read through them quickly. And uh, then what I want to do is talk about what this list reveals about spiritual growth and maturity. All right. So read this. Look. Be devoted to one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Care for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Bear with one another in love. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Submit to one another. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Stir up one another in love. Confess sins to one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Serve one another. Love one another. Here's some negative commands I'll give you. Listen to these. Don't judge one another. Don't bite and devour one another. Don't destroy one another. Provoke one another. Don't envy one another. Lie to one another. Slander one another. Don't grumble against one another. Listen, here's what this list reveals. Two things primarily, all right? Number one, it reveals that discipleship demands relationship. That discipleship demands relationship. Think about this with me. If you don't have any one another's in your life, think about it. You can't follow or live out the simplest commands found in Scripture. Like if you don't have any one another's, who are you praying for? Who are you serving? Who are you encouraging? Who are you stirring up in love? Who are you confessing your sins to? Nobody. And I just need you to know, if, if you're not living out those commands, look, you are not following Jesus. And if you're not following Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, guess who you're not becoming like? Jesus. And that's spiritual maturity. But in addition to that, listen to this, if you don't have any one another's in your life, you aren't receiving these things from anybody. Like you walk through life in isolation, guess what? Nobody's praying for you. No one is encouraging you. No one's serving you in love. Nobody's confessing their sins to you so that you can sit back and go, okay, well, I'm not the only one struggling in life, right? We're all sinful people who need the Lord's help. Um, no one's outdoing you in honor, caring for you, bearing your burdens alongside of you. And if no one is doing those things for you, your spiritual growth will be stunted. Discipleship demands relationship. That's number one. The second thing that this list reveals, and some of you are going to love this one, it reveals that relational difficulty produces spiritual maturity. That relational difficulty produces spiritual maturity. Can we be really honest? Uh, the things on that list we just read, those are hard things, aren't they? A lot of them. These are not things that most of us naturally want to do. Like, tell me this. Who, who woke up this morning, got out of bed and went, can't wait to confess my sins to somebody today. So glad it's Sunday, you know. Like, who got up and went, can't wait to forgive that person who was just a jerk to me yesterday. This is going to be awesome. Or, or what about this? Oh, I cannot wait to outdo everybody I meet today in showing honor. Like, I'm just going to honor. I don't even care if people show me honor. I just want to outdo people. I'm just going to honor everybody I meet. Nobody wants to do that, right? Not a single person in this room. And, and so because that's true, what we have to come to grips with is this, that none of us are going to do the one another simply through hard work. Like, nobody's going to resolve just to get that list right and then go out and get it right. No, please hear me. Giving these things and even receiving these things require complete dependence and surrender to the Holy Spirit. Now, you want to do these things? You want to receive these things from other people? It requires you to humbly go to the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you, if in fact you know Jesus Christ, and to say to the Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. Because what I know is I can't do these things without you. 
And here's the beauty of spiritual maturity. When you find yourself on your knees saying to the Holy Spirit, help, you have opened your life up to what he wants to do in you. And as a result, he starts to grow you and make you more and more like Jesus Christ. And so let's apply that to a real life relationship, can we? Uh, How about we talk about marriage for a moment? It's always a fun one to talk about in church. Marriage. Let's be honest. And and married people, just let me see your hands. How many of y'all know that marriage is hard? Yep, every hand stayed up. That's what I thought. (laughs) And single people, college kids, high schoolers, listen, marriage is hard, okay? If I can give you any advice today, write that one down. James told me August the 12th that this was going to be hard. Marriage is a hard relationship, isn't it? And do you know why it's hard? Because it is a relationship designed by God himself, not simply to grow you in happiness, but in holiness. Come on. This will preach all day, won't it? Can I just tell you, if you got married just because you want to be happy, you're probably miserable, and you're probably miserable to be married to, right? (laughs) Because marriage ain't all about your happiness. More so, it is about your holiness. And let me kind of frame it for you, all right? God says in his word, husbands, I want you to love your wife just like Jesus loved his church and gave himself up for her. And then he says to wives, wives, I want you to submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. Like just as the church submits to the headship of Christ, wives, remember that husbands are the head of the marriage. Now come on married people, none of us want to do that, do we? None of us. Husbands, what do we want? We want our wives to love us like Jesus loved his church. Uh, Wives, what do you want in the room? You want your husband to like shut up and come under your leadership and to do things your way and, right? Be honest. None of us, none of us want to do this stuff. Which is why, hear me, which is why so many marriages fall apart. Because instead of being those husbands and wives that get on our knees and say to the Holy Spirit of God, I don't want to do my part. Because my part is hard. And it pushes back against everything naturally that that lives within me. And so, Holy Spirit of God, if I'm going to do my part well, help me, change me, grow me, make me more like Jesus Christ. A lot of husbands and wives get frustrated because either they're not doing their part or they're irritated at their spouse for not doing their part. And they just give up. And in some cases, they simply walk away. Can I tell you, in the same way... A lot of Christians avoid going deep in relationships with one another for the same reason. Because relationships are hard. They're not hard if you keep them on a surface level. But when you decide to go deep, relationships start to get really messy. They start to get really difficult. And I have often found that a lot of Christians, instead of getting on their knees and going, Holy Spirit of God, I know I need this in my life. Like, I know that that if I'm going to grow spiritually, I need these people. So change me and grow me so that I can engage like I'm supposed to. A lot of Christians just avoid relationships altogether or they stay surface level. Listen, I'm saying this because I love you and I care about your spiritual growth. If you avoid relationships due to difficulty, you will never grow and mature like you're meant to. Relational difficulty is one of the things God uses in our lives to grow us up. We need each other to grow in spiritual maturity. Number three. Number three. Y'all with me out there? Number three. We need each other to withstand our enemy. 
We need each other to withstand our enemy. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter, who is one of the disciples of Jesus, he writes and says that our enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion always prowling around looking for someone to devour. I'm curious, in light of that, have any of you ever seen a lion hunt, right? You've watched National Geographic, Discovery Channel, you've watched this, right? If so, you know what a lion does and does not do. The lion does not rush headlong across the plain into the middle of the pack of zebras to take one out, right? No, instead, here, here's what he does. He hunkers down in the grass, and he just, he just waits patiently, and, and he watches for that one zebra with ADD to, like, wander off from the rest of the pack. And when that one zebra wanders off and he becomes isolated, then the lion goes after that one and he attacks and he devours him. According to what Peter writes, that is exactly how our enemy, the devil, attacks us. He doesn't move in recklessly and carelessly so that we see him coming from a mile away. No, here's what he does. He just waits and he watches and he looks for that lone ranger Christian who decides, I don't need all these people in my life. I'll walk through life alone, and I'll be fine in isolation. The devil finds those people, and he goes after them full speed, full force. He starts attacking, and over time, completely devours. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about this reality. Here's what he says. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Scary stuff. You see, here is the truth. And, and I need you to hear me and take me seriously, seriously today, please. The truth is, if you walk through life in isolation, it is like you have placed a target on your back for the enemy. But at that point, you're just teasing him. It's like you've strapped a bloody stake onto your chest and, and jumped into a shark tank. Here I am, right? Come get me, like take me out. Can I just tell you, the devil is more than willing to take you up on that invitation. Because the devil hates God and his goal in life is to rob God of every ounce of glory he deserves. And the most effective way that the devil robs God of glory is by taking out his sons and daughters who were uh, created in his image to bear his image in this world all for his glory. Please hear me, my friends. There is no safety in isolation. Safety is found in community. And so let me just say it again. You need people in your life that you're following Jesus with. You need people that you're confessing sin to, people that are holding you accountable, encouraging you, praying for you. As scary as this is for some of you to hear, I'm going to say it anyway, you need people that know your darkest, deepest secrets. You need people in your life, and I do too, and praise God I have them. You need people that know the worst parts of who you are. You know the people in your life that knows all the ways that the devil tries to tempt you and take you out. And here's the beauty. When you have those people around you, those relationships allow you to resist the devil far more effectively than you can on your own. You see, you got a community of, of Christ followers around you. It's a lot harder for the devil to break into the middle of that pack you're a part of and to take you out, right? We need each other. The great promise from James 4, 7 is this. You resist the devil, he'll flee from you. How good is that? 
you resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need each other to withstand our enemy. Number four, final point, final answer. Why do we need each other? Well, we need each other to give the gospel credibility. We need each other to give the gospel credibility. Now, what's the gospel? Well, that word simply means good news, all right? Uh, If you're new to church, new to the Bible, when we as Christians use that word gospel, we are specifically referring to the good news about the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel declares this, that 2,000 years ago, out of his great love for us, Jesus, who is God, wrapped himself in flesh and he came to live among us. And while he was here, he lived the life we can't live. At the end of his life, died the death we deserved in our place for our sins. Three days later, rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell forever so that people like you and me could know new and eternal life. Forty days later, ascended back to heaven where he is right now seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. And one day in the future, Jesus Christ, the reigning king, will come back to earth, gather his people, and take us home to be with him forever. How good is that? It's good news. The best news. And so you might think, okay, well, James... How in the world do our relationships with one another give that good news credibility? Well, we find the answer to that question in a prayer Jesus prayed in John 17. Let me show this to you. Here's what he says. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Here's what's happening. In this text, Jesus is praying for us, like you and me. Uh, He says in the prayer, I'm not asking for my disciples who are with me presently only. God, I'm, I'm also asking that what I'm praying for would be true of every person who would ever believe in me. Future tense. So the night, think about this, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus was praying for us, you and me. It's humbling, isn't it? And what did he pray for? He could have prayed for a lot of things. But he prayed for one thing. He prayed for our relational commitment. This is what he prayed for. That despite all of our differences, and come on, there's a lot of differences represented in this room right now, aren't there? Differences in race, which I love, in age, which I love, gender, it's awesome, socioeconomic status, amazing, political preferences, awesome. Like, y'all do know that everybody in here doesn't fall into, like, one category, right? Like... Okay, keep coming to church. It's all right. God wants to grow you by hanging out with people who are different than you. But we're different. So many differences represented in this room. Jesus prayed that in despite of those differences, we would be one. We'd be one. That we wouldn't fight about stupid stuff that doesn't matter. We wouldn't hold up some earthly agenda over his eternal agenda. That we wouldn't put our needs and our preferences over the needs and preferences of one another, but that you and I as his followers would be united in love, mindset, purpose, and devotion. Now, here's the question. How in the world does that happen? Like, how do we become the answer to the prayer Jesus prayed? Well, I'll tell you how it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by us working hard just to get along. This type of, of unity and commitment, this can't be forced. It can't be manipulated. Like, I can't stand up here as your pastor today and persuade you or inspire you to go out and get this right. There's one way that this works, all right? Here it is. 
This type of relational uh, unity is only possible when you and I as Christ followers walk in unity with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, this is what Jesus was getting at when he prayed, Father, I'm asking that just as you're in me and I am in you, I'm praying that they would be in us. Right? The idea is simple, that as you and I follow Jesus together, side by side, hand in hand, that we begin to live in the very unity that exists between the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And as we live within that unity, somehow, supernaturally, they begin to unite us, not only with each other, but also with themselves. And as we walk in that unity with the Trinity and with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, all of a sudden, our relational commitment gives the gospel credibility. How does all that work? I have no idea. Like, I don't want to stand up here as your pastor today and lie like I have it all figured out. All I know is that according to what Jesus prays, when we love each other and when we commit our lives to one another selflessly, somehow the gospel message becomes more believable to an unbelieving world. Let me show you a picture of this and then we'll be done, okay? Um, Acts chapter 2, there's a very well-known passage about the unity, the relational commitment of the early church. And here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, get this, and having favor with all the people. And I love this last line. And the Lord added to their number day by day. That means every single day, those who were being saved. How insane is that? Like, think about this with me. As a result of their relational commitment, their willingness just to walk together, eat together, pray together, meet in homes together, uh, worship together, go to the temple together, their willingness to look at each other and go, oh, you have a need? I got some stuff I don't need. I'll sell it so I can meet your need. It's crazy. As a result of that type of commitment, all of a sudden, outsiders, people who didn't even believe what they believed, started looking at them and they started having favor with them. The gospel message, that good news, started gaining credibility and every single day new people were coming into the kingdom and the family of God. If you were to ask me this morning, James, what do you want Cross Point to look like a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now? That. That's what I want this church to look like. Like, I pray that, that we would be a people so deeply committed to each other that people on the outside would look at our love and commitment and go, that doesn't make sense. Nobody lives like that. Nobody loves like that. Those crazy people are just giving stuff away and selling stuff off to meet needs. And, and they're selfless and honoring one another, bearing burdens, praying, encouraging. Who confesses sins like that? That's insane. Listen, if that's what following Jesus looks like, sign me up. If that's what he does in the lives of his people, I want to be a part of his family. That's my prayer for our church.
But it's going to require, look, it's going to require a lot of us to take some big, scary steps that we have been unwilling to take up until this point. Listen, I want to ask you and and give you one final practical step to take, and then we're going to pray, okay? Here it is. If you're somebody walking through life alone, and, and let me just even add on to this, okay? I didn't intend to say this, but I feel like I need to. Let's say you're also somebody walking through life with just a bunch of surface-level relationships. (laughs) Plenty of us in the room probably have those, don't we? You're walking through life alone. you got a bunch of surface-level relationships in your life. Here's the step I want to ask you to take, all right? In a few weeks, actually two weeks, August 26th, we're having an event called Group Connect. First time we've ever done this. It's going to happen for four consecutive Sundays at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in this building, 2 to 3 p.m., and this event is going to help you learn more about what it looks like to get connected into community here at Cross Point. And I just got to be really honest. As long as this is your church and you're not connected, we're going to be on you. We're going to be relentless about it. Not so that you can walk away going, I got some church friends. We don't care about that. No, I want you to experience all the things that we've talked about today. It is so important for you and it's so important for us that we get this right. And so I want you to write down August 26th. Get it on your calendar. Or if you can't come then, come on one of the three Sundays afterwards. Come learn about groups. Uh, learn about what group works best for you. If you want to lead a group, come to Group Connect. We'd love to help you become a leader of your own group. But again, I, I know that's scary for some of us. So what I want to do right now is just pray for our courage and, and maybe even our humility if we can. Um, Whatever you need to ask God to remove out of your life today to take that step, why don't you do it right now? Will you join me? Let's pray. Father, we want to say to you, because we believe this is good and right, we want to say, God, we know that you created us to be people of relationships and community. God, we acknowledge it. There's no getting around it. It's just what is true. And because it's true... And because you ordained it, God, we know it's a blessing. We know it's a good thing, not a burden. And so, God, I know some of us in here wrestle with pride. We just want to act like we don't need people when we do. Would you kill that in us? There are others of us in here that are scared to death to open ourselves up to other people. We've been hurt. We're ashamed. I'd kill those attitudes in us. God, I pray that this community of believers called Cross Point would be a safe place no matter who we are, a safe people to walk through life with. And God, my prayer is that as we walk through life together, God, that these things would be true, that, that your image would come to bear through Cross Point City Church, that we would grow in faith and in Christ-likeness. God, that we would be able to withstand the enemy in ways that are impossible for us by ourselves. God, that the good news we carry would become so attractive to the people outside of our walls. God, do this work in us. We know we need you for it. Give us help. And God, we trust that you will. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.